Good morning and welcome to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Mike Miller, your host for today. So I did something different this month that I haven't done. For those who are very regular listeners of Talking Money, you'll notice that the last four weeks I had played some best ofs, some great information from shows that were recorded earlier this year and hope you got a lot of benefit from that. But we're back in the saddle again today. We're going to be talking more about current events, what's going on in the markets and what's happening with things uh, we'll try to get to inflation. If we don't get it this week, we'll get it next week. But I've got some some interesting comments and looked at a lot of different analysts uh, over the last several days out preparing for today, see what all the different advisors, what they're all saying about uh, where we are in the markets. Are, are, is it overheated? Uh, what's going to happen with um, the inflation, with all the spending the government's doing and so forth? And we had all those kind of things. So anyway, we'll, we'll be talking about all that today, but I, I've got a little different um, start today. So I read an article this past week that was very interesting. So a lot of us think that, wow, if I just had you know, boatloads of money, I wouldn't have any problems. You know, I just wouldn't have any because the money would take care of it. Now, money does does uh, cover up a lot of ills and, and you can you can get out of things that you might not be able to get out of if you didn't have the money to do that. But there was an article about Bill Gross. Some of you may remember the, the name Bill Gross. He used to manage the PIMCO Total Return Bond Fund for years. It was the largest bond fund, uh, actively managed bond fund, and he did a great job with it. Uh, he seemed a little eccentric. Uh, he was essentially fired from that job a number uh, several years ago, and I forget where he went to. He's he's uh, I think he's still managing bonds. I'm not sure. He may even retired. I haven't kept up with him. Um, but anyway, a, a billionaire. The guy's made done well, done well for his investors, and he's earned what he's what he's uh, accumulated over the years. And I have no doubt about that. But so the article was was just posted July 15th, so just just a week or so ago says Bill Gross is ordered back to court over a music complaint. Bill Gross is heading to court in California over his music playing habits again. All right, so this is interesting. He says, um, this is Judge Kimberly Nill. Uh, his neighbor is um, Mark Tofig. So his, his neighbor complained that Gross had violated uh, her order. Uh, not, I, I guess Mark is her. I don't know, but anyway. So Gross and Tofig, they describe um, her as a millionaire. So it, because they have trophy homes on a bluff overlooking the Pacific Ocean, I've got to assume multi-multi-millionaire, but a millionaire, no doubt. Um, but they have feuded since Tofig complained about netting over a million-dollar piece of art in Gross's yard. According to Tofig, the PIMCO co-founder responded by blaring TV sitcom themes, including Gilligan's Island, at all hours of the day. A court hearing into Gross's dispute with his Southern California neighbor was abruptly halted Monday after his lawyer said the billionaire and his girlfriend were exposed to people who tested positive for coronavirus. I was reading this to my wife yesterday with thinking, oh, that was convenient. <laughs> I didn't have to continue the court case. Uh, just just say I was exposed to somebody. We'll, we'll assume he's, he's being uh, honest and direct about that. And get a load of this. After a trial that featured nine days of testimony, nine days for a music complaint, Neil ruled that what Gross did amounted to harassment. She ordered him to stop playing loud music in his yard when he and his wife weren't outside and to keep at least five yards away from their neighbors. <laughs> how, that, how that does anything. Uh, anyway, 
but according to a recent complaint filed by Tofit, Gross violated the order on July 7th. In a recent affidavit answering Tofit's complaint, Gross said he and his Amy and he and Amy Schwartz, whom he married in April, turned on music at a quiet level while swimming after 9 p.m. on July 7th. Gross said he only used small personal speakers. Tofig called the police, though. Laguna police officers came and left without issuing a citation, Gross said. So Tofig's lawyers then complained to Gross's legal team about umbrellas that were put up on his property, according to a copy of an email chain the two sides exchanged. Gross's lawyers accused Tofig of attempting to punish the Grosses for daring to enjoy music while swimming by asking the judge to ban the umbrellas. This is not because the umbrellas contain speakers or other amplifiers, but supposedly because they are somehow harassing and intimidating, Gross's lawyer said. A lawyer for Tofik didn't immediately return a call or email seeking comment. Tofik testified last year that while the neighbors initially appeared to get along, their relationship soured after the billionaire put a net over a 22-foot-long blown glass sculpture by artist Dale Chilhuli. Tofik filed a complaint with Laguna Beach officials. Gross's lawyers say Laguna Beach has since approved the installation of the sculpture. So so you think you got problems until you become a billionaire, and then you got a problem with your multi-multi-millionaire neighbor who doesn't like what you did with a net or a sculpture, and and maybe just liked the sculpture. I have no idea. Maybe she liked the sculpture, uh, and maybe didn't, and didn't appreciate him (laughs) covering a a million-dollar sculpture with a net. Uh, I don't know, but it's it's uh, just proves uh, you know that you you may have more more money may. solve some problems but it can just create other problems uh, and I was, I was i was telling talking with another uh, person last week or so i said having extra stuff is not necessarily a good thing it just isn't uh, so we want to keep all that in perspective okay so back to reality and for the rest of us so what's been going on in the market so it's been a while since i have uh read some of the uh the pieces and blogs from uh, navalier and he had some interesting comments this past uh, Wednesday. He published his uh, weekly blog, and it was um, full of some you know, pretty good information, I think. And he talks about how last Monday, which was a week ago Monday, value stocks like airlines, cruise ships, hotels, energy stocks, they were crushed. Now, if you remember, a week ago Monday, the market went down a bunch. It recovered very quickly, but it, wa- it went down a bunch, which is unnerving for a lot of people because they're thinking, wow, what's going on here? Uh, the The... Earth, uh, the world's about to end. The sky is falling. That kind of thing. Uh, he says it's because the you know, the COVID nineteen Delta variant, which has come out, is spreading in unvaccinated countries. So, in contrast, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, as is Navalier saying, implied that if we do not reopen now, when will we ever reopen? And that was great to hear him saying that. And proceeded to open the country on what is being called Freedom Day. So although getting vaccinated is important, getting back to normal life is equally as important, especially for the vast majority of vaccinated people who are returning to their pre-COVID lives. And I think that's hopefully the the, the science and the sense, the common sense that's going to go back into this because it definitely affects money. It affects the economy. And we just don't want to see that. I don't think I've not talked to anybody who wants to see that happen again. So he said that he, the Monday's plunge was 
a gross overreaction. And I believe it was too. And the market did too, because it, it rebounded pretty quickly the, the few days after that. I will say that um, this week I was with uh, a doctor friend of mine and uh, he's a, a urologist. And he said that uh, he's been glad that uh, for the past, he works primarily with older patients that he's not seen a COVID patient in four months. So I think it was, he said, and he's, and I said, what about this Delta variant? He said, well, it's really, he, he, he named some long phrase to describe it, a word to describe it. Then he said, it's really no worse than having a, a bad cold. So, and, and certainly there's a lot of statistics that show it's, is not as lethal as COVID was for many, many people. Uh, all right. So we're going to finish talking about some of his comments, but of course we always want your questions. I got a couple of uh, comments and questions from some radio listeners this week that one I met with and one just uh, had some phone call and email exchanges with. We'll try to share some of those comments with you later, but we want your questions. We want to talk about what you want to hear. You'll want to send your question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. We'll be back with the second segment of Talking Money in just a few minutes. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is a company with a vision to see individuals and families practicing biblical stewardship and experiencing freedom from economic fear, bondage, and conflict. They want their clients and their families to enjoy debt-free living, free to answer the call to ministry or whatever their passion is, feeling at peace with their investments and the way they are being professionally managed to help accomplish their financial objectives so they can focus on other aspects of their lives and help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. As a trust company, Ronald Blue Trust Advisors come alongside the next generation to help transfer your values and help you leave your lasting legacy. If you're a business owner, the Business Consulting Division can help you define your company's culture and, very importantly, then help convey that culture to the next generation of leaders in your company. Find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. Coming up in about 20 minutes after the hour here on Talking Money. Glad you're with us. This is Mike Miller, your host for today. So we're talking about what's been going on in the markets and uh, Louis Navalier, an analyst that I, we don't have any money with him, um, but I, I like his his blogs and he, he explains things fairly clearly. I've been talking about the vaccination getting back to normal and, and even with the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson talking about if we don't reopen now, when will we ever reopen? So I think... From what I can sense that people want to stay open. They don't want to go through this mass closure again like we had before. That was just, it was no fun. And and we found since then that there's been so many worse things that have happened. I think, I mean, it's it's bad that everybody that, that uh, was severely, uh, uh, got severely ill or was uh, died because of getting the COVID. Of course, we hate all that, but there was a whole lot of other things that happened that that be, because of that that were also bad with the mental illness and a lot of other things that happened that uh, and suicide rates and things like that that uh, happened because of it. So you got to balance these things out and and do it appropriately and make sure there's not a political reason for doing it and it really is for the science. 
So he talks about the plunge in crude oil prices because of what may be a fear of a economic or a global economic slowdown because of this Delta variant. Um, but the the crude oil prices dropped, but they still didn't drop. And I looked at the the recent prices, primarily looking at the Texas West Texas Intermediate crude, and it went um, it was below fifty in January. And it's, it went up above 75, so 50% increase is a huge increase in crude oil prices since January, which, of course, is going to ultimately reflect in higher gas prices, which we've all seen. Uh, it went up to 75, now it's back to 72, but it even went lower than that. I don't have the chart right in front of me, but it went lower than that, kind of a blip down, and, and probably around that same day, week from Monday, and then it came back up. And one of the positive things about that, and we've talked about this before on Talking Money, is that when the price of oil, I think uh, 45 is a 40, 45 dollars a barrel is a, is a minimum for the fracking companies. When it gets above 50, and now that it's up around 70, and if it looks like it's going to stay there for a while, they go back to work. It makes it more profitable for them to get in there and use their fracking techniques to pull out more natural gas and more crude oil. So when that happens, of course, the supply is going to go up. When the supply starts going up again, that's going to eventually should produce a downward pressure on on gasoline prices. But then you've got the situation with like the Keystone pipeline that got canceled. There's there's some recent legal activity going on about that. That hopefully it'll it'll pass and they'll negate what President Biden did, so we can get that because. Even if you're an environmentalist, it's, I, I, I get real um, frustrated with e, uh, environmentalists who will say we don't want to have these uh, pipelines. Of course, they don't want crude oil at all in spite of how much they use crude oil. They don't even realize that all the things that they use that have plastics in them and all these different things that they use even in the, on the medical side with syringes and things that we need, uh, they don't understand that how much petroleum is actually used everywhere. And it's and it's a natural product. That's another thing. And my wife and I joke about this a lot where somebody will say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this supplement because it's all natural. Well, you know, I mean, all, all the other stuff you're using is natural, too. I mean, you can say synthetic, but there's natural stuff, natural ingredients in all this stuff. So when you when you have oil, which is a natural, it's a it, uh, is a an ingredient that is comes out of the ground. It's it's part of us and we just using it in a different way. But when you have a pipeline, it's actually safer, a safer way to transport that crude oil than if you didn't have the pipeline. So they talk about the environmental impact, and, and nobody likes to see pipes, but a lot of these things, they go underground and so forth. And, and most people, if you ask, have you ever seen a pipeline? Well, they probably haven't. Um, but the, So you have these pipelines that going to transport this crude oil. And, and if you didn't have that, then you'd have to do it by rail or by transport truck. And, and both of those have their own issues with potential spills and, and their using additional fuel to get it there because they're driving the train, they're driving the trucks, they're all that stuff is using all that and, and that's putting more the of the exhaust into the atmosphere. So the safest way to transport that stuff is by is by a pipeline. And just like the safest way to and most energy efficient way to generate electricity for us is is nuclear power. And and that doesn't seem to be something they want. To, I, I don't know. I, I get all confused with that. But anyway, back to reality. So crude oil prices. Hopefully, the the, the uh, fracking companies will get back in 
and producing their their um, oil and gas so we can have more supply and that'll keep at least keep a ceiling on the prices uh, we don't want it to necessarily drop down below 40 we like that from a consumer standpoint but then we have the same issue the fracking people can't afford to do what they do so there's there's that catch 22 there um biggest one of the bigger things he talks about is what's affecting bond yields he said the biggest beneficiary of the COVID-19 Delta variant fear are bond yields since the 10-year Treasury bond decisively cracked the 1.2% level and actually hit a low of 1.133. So when those go down, people who own it, you'll make money on it because when the yield goes down, the price goes up and then you you make a capital gains on it. Um, so he says that the uh, Delta fear of the... Uh, global economy slowing is the biggest culprit behind falling treasury uh, bond yields. And then he says, uh, in the wake of last Monday's, a week ago Monday's sell-off, that he's been getting a lot of questions about, okay, what's the potential next big tipping point that could trigger a market correction? That's what everybody wants to know. What's going to happen? Of course, what you really want to know is when can I get out, let it go down, and get back in again. And we'll talk more about that, which is virtually impossible to do. So interesting, he points out here about ETFs. The ETFs have gone gotten much more popular over the years. And um, I don't think people understand the, how the spread in an ETF works. Now, our firm uses ETFs, but you're talking about professional traders trying to, to, to trade them at the right time. He says, the biggest risk that I foresee is merely market mechanics. Very interesting. Specifically, ETF spreads, those electronically traded funds. So there's like a mutual fund that trades like a stock is the simplest way I can, uh, more like a, a closed mutual, closed end mutual fund. Because with a regular mutual fund, the price change is based on the underlying value of the stocks that they hold. Where a closed end mutual fund or an ETF can actually have a spread to where the value of the, the actual holdings may be less than what the current price is because it, it can go it can sell for a premium or a discount so last monday on the the day that the market was going down had you sold an etf you would likely have been fleeced one to two percent by selling your etf at a discount last tuesday the day after if you bought an etf you could have been fleeced up to another one percent premium i've been checking etf spreads and they started to subside subside last tuesday afternoon However, if we get into any extended multi-day sell-offs, ETF spreads all too often spin out of control. So as a reminder, when trading ETFs, just go to Morningstar.com and check the intraday, intraday indicative value, which tells you any premium slash discount compared to the actual ETF price. So if you're listening today and you trade in ETFs, then that's a good piece of advice for you to make sure you're careful because all you're seeing is the stock price. You're not seeing if there's a spread there. And you may be fleeced and didn't even know you were being fleeced. That's why it's important, I think, to have professional trading. Uh, okay, so and lumber prices. Everybody sees what uh, the, anybody that's been doing uh, any remodeling or been doing uh, home building knows what the difficulty there's been with getting lumber and also with the the prices of lumber, how they've changed over the years. So he talks about lumber prices have also declined 70% since June. All right, that's just uh, you know, about two months. After surging 125.3% in the first five months of 2021. So oscillating lumber prices may have adversely impacted building permits. 
So I, I called a good buddy of mine who owns a lumber yard in, in the area, we'll say the upstate, to, to talk about this and confirm whether or not he has seen that in his own shop. Has he seen prices go down like that? And he indeed confirmed it. He said it's, it's, uh, prices have gone down a lot. So it's still higher than they were before, let's say a year ago, but they've gone down a lot and and he had some interesting comments about how some of the the mills who produce the lumber how they uh want to be paid and how they can manipulate the markets and things like that very interesting to hear some of the behind the scenes stuff going on and we won't have time to talk about all that but uh, have some other comments about that and about real estate when we get back from the break we'll be back with the second half of talking money in just a couple minutes This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for Talking Money. I am pleased to have Ronald Blue Trust sponsor Talking Money to help educate listeners about financial planning so you have the information needed to help you make more informed and hopefully better decisions. When a Ronald Blue Trust advisor meets with prospective clients, their goal is to determine if any of our services are a good fit for them. They don't sell any products like annuities or life insurance and as a fiduciary work to serve your best interest. Perhaps you just need a financial physical from the Everyday Steward Division without any ongoing monitoring, or you're about to retire and need to work with the Private Wealth Division to map out a financial path and then help implement and continuously monitor that plan. Ronald Blue Trust Advisors act like your quarterback, coordinating the advice you receive from your accountant, your estate attorney, life insurance agent, and in some instances, even your investment advisor. You can learn more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. Come up at about 25 minutes before the hour. This is Mike Miller, your host. All right, so talking about the lumber prices and how much they've declined um, uh, since since June, it's been kind of interesting to see how that's, that, and of course, that's going to affect home building prices and all those kind of things. And hopefully the availability we're going to start getting. But but and one of the things that this my friend was telling me about that for, from the um, a supply standpoint is that the the lumber companies are not necessarily wanting to start selling the lumber because at the lower prices, they're not going to make as much money. So they may not, the mills may not run as much. And so they'll, they will purposefully start to try to shrink that supply, which, you know, that that's not necessarily good for the rest of us, but the other, of course, they're looking out for their, their own interest, not ours as, as he uh, was very quick to, to tell me. All right. So then we've got, um, uh, an interesting conversation I had with with Rob uh, and Danae yesterday. So their listeners, they transferred down from uh, Long Island, New York, back uh, five some years ago. And it was interesting to talk to them about what the differences were in um, prices uh, of the houses up there and here. And one of the one of the big things they talked about was the property taxes he had to pay. Property taxes for a relatively modest home up there was $12,000 a year. So anybody that has a, you know, a more expensive house, that's going to be even higher than that. And, and of course, they're not feeling that they got that much benefit from 
paying that 12000 They said, yeah, we got our garbage collected and stuff like that. And we had parks we could go to, but you know, that's we have that too. And we don't pay that much. So now they're now paying. They're in, in uh, Anderson County. So they're paying, I think, $600 a year instead of 12000 a year. And they were able to buy a bunch of acreage down there and uh, much happier down here than they were up there. So a lot of people are having that same comments uh, from we're hearing those same comments about people transferring from those high tax states and you don't know when they're going to learn their lesson that that this is just not how you run a city how you run a county how you run a state is just not good so then uh, navalier says that the national association of realtors on thursday announced that existing home this would be a week ago thursday uh, announced that existing home sales rose 1.4 percent in june to an annual pace of 5.86 million median Home prices hit an all-time high of 363300 which is the highest level since the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Index commenced back in January of 99. So he says the uh, sale of home prices between 500000 and 700000 750000 rose 81% in the past 12 months, while the sales of a uh, home over a million surged 119%. So you got to start being a little concerned about what's going on with the real estate market. And I know Dan Hamilton will have his comments about that on the My Greenville Home following this show. So then he says the Labor Department talking about unemployment. This is always something to keep an eye on. Labor Department announced on Thursday that weekly unemployment claims in the latest week rose to 419,000, up sharply, sharply from the 368,000 the previous week. So when economists were thinking that it was going to decline – the 350 from 368 to 350 instead of goes up to 419 that you know another reminder what what economists know and don't know so they're they're, they're taking some educated guesses as well uh that 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 can be important but he said the continuing unemployment claims in the latest week declined to 3.236 million down from 3.365 million so that's the lowest level of continuous claims since march of 2020 so he says the best way to describe the latest unemployment claims is it's uneven we don't really know so he said the fed now has more excuses to remain accommodative due to the uneven progress in the labor market so he thinks that uh, when the the fomc the federal open market committee meets this next week that it's going to be dovish which means it's going to uh, talk about keeping interest rates lower and and being dovish on that so he expects that the fed will also have a dovish fomc statement this means that the goldilocks is expected to continue so this is all the combination of accommodative fed accommodative fed and strong economic growth that we're having and we really have had some strong economic growth we had some weak economic growth last year to compare it to so you've got to be careful how you look at those things as well to make sure that you don't um, you keep it in perspective what if we were coming off a really high growth year last year and now we had another high growth year this year that'd be different but we're not uh, we're not doing that it's not working the same okay so uh let me just real quickly we got this few minutes before this next break we'll get back to some of the um, market information but uh, julie asked this question she's considering doing a 401k roth conversion 401k to Roth conversion since we know taxes will be going up well we don't know that we're we're pretty confident they'll go up sometime and certainly the Biden administration would like to do that for certain groups but it doesn't mean you'll go up so I think you got to be careful 
if you're in like the 12 percent bracket and you're in a 22 you're close to the 22 percent bracket your bracket may not change so you got to be careful uh and she she mentions uh, making a hundred thousand net each year i don't know if she's single or married but uh of course if she's single she's uh, solidly in the 22 percent bracket if she's if she's married, she's still in that bracket, but not quite as high. Once you take all your deductions off, she's going to barely be in the 22% bracket with the standard deductions and things like that that you have that would bring that down below the 22% bracket down to the 12% bracket. And then you've got to look at, okay, if I do a Roth conversion, any kind of whether 401k or whatever kind of Roth conversion, then you're going to be including that in your income that year. So maybe you're just on the borderline going from 12 to 22. You do Roth conversion, all of it's in the 22% bracket. Whereas once you retire, and she doesn't say how old she is, but once she retires, then she can, um, she may be in a lower bracket. It could be that her, her self-employment income, of course, is going to go away, and she'll have Social Security then, then pulling out of her 401k and things like that to help supplement her income. She may be below the the well below the twenty two percent bracket then, and be able to take that money out of the four hundred one k at a twelve percent bracket. So instead of doing the Roth conversion and paying twenty two percent and change, then you wait and you say, well, okay, I'll I'll take it out later and take it out at twelve percent, which is a better deal. So it, you have to look at more than just you know what might be happening to the general in taxes whose taxes are going to go up and how much will they go up is a concern because you've got to look at what the bracket will be when you pull the money out to do the Roth conversion versus what it might be best guess you have when you take it out realizing that typically the lower tax brackets are the last ones to move up they don't the more there are more people that fit that bracket so of course they're wanting to keep those votes and have and the the wealthier people pay more of the taxes which of course they already paid most of them anyway but you need to look at that to, to make sure that's uh, right so and and her question was do we think congress may make changes to the ross later because they need the money due to our upside down uh, being upside down fiscally um you know that's always a possibility i i my my gut tells me no they they won't do that because the political ramifications of that are pretty serious um but you never know uh when they make that kind of, they make promises before that they go back on so they may go back on those promises as well so you got to understand um that that may happen but uh, i don't i think the likelihood's small that that will happen um, I think they'll doing other things like they did last year where they said that if somebody passes on, they can't let their surviving, surviving non-spouse beneficiary take the money over their lifetime. They're going to make them take it out over a 10-year period. Those kind of things accelerate the taxes that are going to be paid on a tax-deferred account like an IRA. So I think we may see more things like that and close some of those loopholes, which, of course, will bring funds into the Treasury sooner than if they let people stretch it out over their lifetime. Uh, but anyway, that's that's um, you know, speculations. We don't really know. They don't really know what they're doing. So how, how can we possibly you know, figure out what, what they're going to be doing next? So I, I think we can do that. When we get back from the break, we're going to be spending the, the, the rest of the time talking a bit more about um gary alexander had a nice piece out and says the the um this the lessons he's learned uh a top seven he says his top top seven tips to build a lifetime of wealth everyone wants to know what that is right the top seven many of we've talked about on talking money already but i thought it was a good summary and things that uh, would be good reminders so we'll we'll hit on that uh, when we get back for the break we'll be right back 
Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is a company with a vision to see individuals and families practicing biblical stewardship and experiencing freedom from economic fear, bondage, and conflict. They want their clients and their families to enjoy debt-free living, free to answer the call to ministry or whatever their passion is, feeling at peace with their investments and the way they are being professionally managed to help accomplish their financial objectives so they can focus on other aspects of their lives and help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. As a trust company, Ronald Blue Trust Advisors come alongside the next generation to help transfer your values and help you leave your lasting legacy. If you're a business owner, the Business Consulting Division can help you define your company's culture and, very importantly, then help convey that culture to the next generation of leaders in your company. Find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. We've got about 12 minutes here left in Talking Money. So glad you're with us today. If you've got a question that you want to ask, send it to Mike at Talking Money radio.com is a good place to send those questions or if you got questions about the services we offer at ronald blue trust that's another way to start that process and we'll have that discussion to see if it's something we can help you with we work with everybody from someone who has hundred thousand someone who has no money at all to people that have uh, multi 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 million so it's and everywhere in between we've got a great team i uh, just can't uh, brag enough about the team that we have even in greenville the talent that we have uh, and the expertise, and then if you expand that to all the other offices at Ronald Blue Trust, it uh, it just multiplies that exponentially to what we have the resources to to help people make sure that you pay as little in tax as you can and make as much money as you can within the risk parameters that are that you're comfortable with. So Gail Alexander had this piece that he said, finding financial freedom, our top seven tips to build a lifetime of wealth. And he says he learned, as you'll see, he says, I learned a lot of valuable lessons early. But at the same time, I was, he says, too soon old, too late smart, as the saying goes. And that uh, that's too true, I'm, I'm afraid. His lesson number one is, this is from the 1960s when he started to first invest, seek lifelong education. So he just believes in, you, you're never going to be done educating yourself and bringing in people that, uh, and, and reading and researching people that you have a lot of respect for. And as I do that every week, uh, not just in preparation for the, for talking money, but for many other things and working with clients, you want to have varied opinions because if you, if you go to one source all the time, then you're going to be skewed to that opinion all the time. You're not going to get a well varied, uh, a good variety of different opinions that you can then, get your own uh, opinion formed by that so that you you'll know but be keeping educated was his uh, first was number one lesson number two he says be a contrarian investor now that's really hard to do he says um, by 1970 all my studies with these alternative investment books and newsletters have been convinced that the mainstream of investments of the past would not work in the 70s we had to flip the script and not go with the flow and so it's um, one of those things that um, it's, it's like I said, it's easy to talk about, hard to do. So he says the 1970s became a decade of combined inflation and stagflation, creating a new term, stagflation. Some of you remember that. The standard investment stocks, bonds, and dollars in the bank didn't work. 
Regulation Q limited bank interest of five and a quarter percent when inflation was twice that or more. So it's it's you got to be careful not thinking how, what might have worked in the, in the last ten years is going to work now. And I really like some of the resources we have with some of the private equity and private credit that we have. Now this is limited to to credit investors, so it's not for everybody that's out there. But for those who are wealthier, we certainly have some some good alternatives away from the typical bond market and away from the typical stock market or the or even the real estate market. Lesson number three says he learned this in the eighties: invest in yourself. In the nineteen seventies, it didn't do me too much good. I, I can really relate to this comment. It didn't do me much good to be right about the trends because I didn't have much money to invest. To make any significant money, you need excess funds above at living expenses to invest. So something we've talked about here on Talking Money a lot is one of the, the, the key. If, if somebody asks me, what is your one financial advice to give somebody? And that is spend less than you make. That's number one. If you don't do that, all the other advice really doesn't matter. You have to spend less than you make to have, so you have money to invest. He says... Um, in his case, he said he, um, he he was to be a freelance writer in the financial field. That's how he's going to make any more money to have more money to invest, not working for somebody else, not the corporate ladder. He says, uh, explaining alternative investing arena to well-off investors in need of diversification. That's what he did, started writing newsletters that, that, did, the, that did those kinds of writing or put that kind of information out there to, uh, to people. Okay, so lesson number four was learn from history to be an optimist. He says this was a central core of his investment success. Learn history to be an optimist. Well, I'm naturally an optimist, so that didn't that doesn't affect me too much, but it does affect, I know, a lot of other people. Matter of fact, I tell people when they say, when I started a plan first back in 84, and that's, wow, how courageous you were. And I said, no, I was I was naively optimistic. I was optimistic, but I had really no idea what I was doing. I just knew I wanted to help people. And I knew if I could help people, the rest of it would take care of itself. It took a while for that to happen, but it finally did happen. So he says, learn from history to be an optimist. He said, I had not profited from the 80s because I still believed in the world of the 70s, gold over stocks, a collapsing dollar and a coming crash. So when you still are are trying to make the future look just like the past and you invest that same way that doesn't always happen now some things are are more stable like stocks but as we've said there's some times when stocks really don't do as well and then because they're not doing as well you need to have some other investments to help make up and not just stocks in general different types of stocks do different better at different times do well at different times so we had growth stocks doing really well for a long time. And then when the vac- uh, vaccines hit, value stocks started to perform better. Since last November, value stocks performed better than stocks, than, than growth stocks. So I mean, all the stocks have performed well really since that time. But growth stocks have been performing much better than the value stocks have been performing much better than growth stocks. So it, that's part of the diversification is having even different types of stocks. So he says his first hint came at the 1981 New Orleans Investment Conference when Harry Brown said that gold had had its day. So his breakout session was empty. While across the hall, those who predicted $3,000 gold had a turnaway crowd of fanatical followers. But times had changed. Harry Brown was right. It was morning in America under Reagan. 
The dollar recovered, gold retreated, and stocks were soaring. The capper came as I moderated a bull versus bear debate in October 1990, which was about nine years later, at the New Orleans conference. In the audience were 500 bears and two bulls at the very time we should buy stocks at Dow 2400, the low point of the 1990s. The Berlin Wall had crumbled and the deadly Soviet empire was about to expire. So he says, from 1967 graduation to late 90, I was looking for the bad news that would send stocks down and gold up. That's what he did. So, and and I, I see that a lot happening. And I, I'm fearful of people who listen to the radio shows that they're primarily selling annuities. Uh, and and what they're doing there is is always trying to make things sound bad. And they're not optimistic. They can't be optimistic because it doesn't sell their product. Uh, so you want to be very, very careful about how much, especially those people who say, you know, you've got six, seven hundred thousand. They have you put four, five hundred, even all six hundred thousand in that annuity. Uh, that's not diversification. I don't think that's smart. I don't think that's prudent. I don't think that's being a good steward of the money God has allowed you to have. You, you, it needs to be diversified much better than that. So then he says, normally I begin talks about this transition by saying, hi, I'm Gary. I'm a recovering apocaholic. So he was he was always looking for the apocalypse that it was going to be uh, bad. So now, since he learned that in 1990, what a great time to finally learn that because the 90s were pretty good. We had some rough patches in the early 2000s with the tech bubble burst. We had another difficult time with the, the great recession with the uh, financial crisis that we had in 2008, uh, beginning of 2009. Um, but if you, even if you had weathered those storms and said, I hear, you know, you hear these ads, oh, I lost all this money in 2008, 2009. Well, no, you didn't, unless you sold everything. If you were, if you were not foresighted enough to sell everything, then, then yeah, that's, you, you did lose it because you're never going to get it back. But if you stuck with it by the end of 2009, you were still looking a lot better than you were if you, if you had sold it a whole lot better than if you'd sold it that whole time. Okay. So we have some other uh, lessons. So his lesson number five, let's see if we can get through these next couple minutes. Not sure we can. Lesson number five, build w winning partnerships um, with, or at least learn from, he says, great advisors. So he talks about how he's met several advisors that he had over the years and he worked with them. Um, but he's uh, mainly uh, got his advice from other people he recommended that weren't necessarily uh, trying to sell his money. He, so he first helped launch a letter by leading a contrarian who authored a book on that subject. Then I sought out the man who turned my thinking around more than any other. He ran a major U.S. bank operations out of Zurich in the 1970s and launched the first major investment letter on foreign stocks investors in 1980. I followed his letter from, I guess he never mentions it. <laughs> That's why I couldn't find it. Uh, since by late 1980, uh, 1980, he was co-writing a book on that. So more than any other mentor, he gradually convinced me that I was wrong about my perma-bearish view on stocks. So in the early 90s, I negotiated between a publishing firm and him to create a larger audience for his global value investing idea. It took off. Uh, lesson number six, don't try to time the market. This is really important. It says, even if you're temporarily burned, Y2K launched the worst decade of the 1930s. It was, by some measures, even worse than the, than the 1930s. So then came a second crash I just mentioned, 2007, 2009. But I did sell stocks in 2000. But did I sell stocks in 2000, 2007? None of your life. I'm not that smart. 
Market timing is perhaps the toughest skill in the investment toolkit because you have to get the timing right on both ends. And experience shows that not one in 100, just maybe a thousand investors gets it right. Our emotions are our worst enemies. We tend to sell at bottoms and buy at the tops. But even if we are iron-willed robotic nerds with perfect computer models, we must get out the top, maybe paying taxes, and then buy back uh, near the bottom. So, And that's really nearly impossible to do. Well, thanks for listening. It's good to be back with you here on Talking Money. We'll talk some more about inflation and interest rates and things like that next week on the next Talking Money. Have a great weekend. Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested.